Hey, Risto here, George Mason University. I'm here with Dr. Laura Alfrey from Monash University in Australia to discuss the article titled, An Expansive Learning Approach to Transforming Traditional Fitness Testing in Health and Physical Education, Student Voice, Feelings, and Copes. Uh, this article was just recently published in the journal Curriculum Studies in Health and Physical Education. And you can, as always, find the full citation of the article in the notes. Um, but Laura, welcome back to the podcast. You uh, hold the number three of all time downloaded podcast. So maybe we can recreate lightning in a bottle or trap lightning in a bottle. I don't remember how to Bronze medal, story of my life right there. <laughs> Uh, thank you for having me and again. Um, this is a full of the paper, but as you can tell from the acknowledgements at the end of the paper, um, there's lots of fab people who have made this uh, work possible, uh, not least the teachers and the students who participated. Um, and it's also extended work I've done over the last wee while with people like Lorraine Kale, Michael Garz, Valley Yaga and others. So, yeah, thanks to them. Awesome. So... I love that you start the article by, you You have this quote, fitness testing is a ubiquitous cultural practice within health and physical education. And you talk about all around the world that this is something that happens in some form or another. So I'm wondering if you can expand on that idea and tell us kind of what, what do we even know in the literature uh, in relation to feelings of uh, PE students regarding the dreaded fitness test? It's not always dreaded, but um, <laughs> no, I'll get there. Um, so the first part of that question, we've known for a really long time that fitness testing is woven really deeply into the fabric of health and PE, uh, what it means to be a health and PE teacher. Um, I wouldn't say across the world, but we know definitely in places like England, Australia, uh, Israel, New Zealand, and the US, that it, it's a strong uh, feature of, of physical education and health and physical education programs. Um, in terms of the second half of your question, uh, yes, um, I can tell you what my interpretation of the literature says uh, in relation to students' experiences. So, first, I will say that um, my time in teaching, kind of interviewing about fitness testing, and it was a real heavy focus of, of my work as a teacher, um, I knew from then that some kids loved it like I did, and it motivates them and makes them feel good and the process is meaningful and educative, right? But it's also really obvious that that's not for all students. Um, but it's really those students that don't have those positive experiences that I'm trying to support here uh, through supporting the teachers that, that they work with. So um, some of the key points I raised in the paper uh, from the literature are, for example, uh, Simonton and colleagues, talk about our positive attitude towards testing usually being linked to high performance, mm -hmm. uh, which is too much of a shock, Mercury uh, and Silverman and also O'Keefe in Ireland talk about how boys tend to be more positive than girls uh, around their attitudes to fitness testing. Um, attitudes of all genders towards fitness testing tend to become more negative over time. Um, well, and finally, dairy. Um, highlighted that fitness testing was the key reason why female students in particular should not participate in health and PE more broadly. Um, you may have um, 
being set by, you, you might have seen the New York Times a few years ago where uh, the work of Ludwig and colleagues mm-hmm. kind of really uh, piqued their interest and they highlighted um, kind of the persisting and negative impact that fitness testing and physical education more broadly can have into adulthood and they shared a whole range of uh, quite confronting quotes from adults around their experiences as children in, in physical education. But um, the main causes of negative affect that Ladwig and colleagues found uh, mainly related to norm-based evaluations and, uh, and especially um, evaluations that occur in front of peers around fitness or bodies. Um, one last thing I will just say is that one of the main pushbacks, whenever I want to uh, I do PD with teachers or I might present at a conference and one of the main pushbacks um, is this kind of critical work related to fitness testing usually comes in the form of a statement that goes something like, uh, well, math, t- math tests make some kids feel bad too, right? Um, but I think a real key difference here is that in health and PA, the focus is, is quite obviously on my visible and tangible body, yeah, as opposed to my hidden inability to do long division. And I think that throws up a whole heap of different questions um, and challenges but for other teachers and also uh, yeah and I love that you bring that up because that is a question that or a comment that comes up often often here as well and you know that you can hide a bad math test score you know if it's not posted on the wall like you can hide it but you can't hide a bad like let's say the old school like uh, mile run in the U.S. that the last person who finishes is the slowest and you know, and it's, it's very hard to, hard to hide. So, um, so I'm wondering, one of the terms you use is extensive learning. Can you explain what, what do you mean by that and how that relates to your study overall? Yeah, so, um, so expansive learning is rooted in third generation, uh, cultural historical activity theory or chat. Uh, we'll say chat, it's much easier. Um, so chat can be traced back to the box gate. Um, and third gen chat, which I've drawn on in this paper, um, was developed largely by Enstrom. Um, and I'm going to use some quotes from them because uh, I want to get it right. <laughs> so for Engstrom, um, this idea of uh, third gen chat and expansive learning was without developing conceptual tools to understand dialogue, multiple perspectives, and networks with interacting activity systems. So that's a direct quote. Um, if you Google it, it's often diagrammatized, and um, this is chat, um, as one or more triangles. Um, uh, and what, what those triangles are trying to do is articulate a multi-directional relationship between different elements of an activity system. Um, uh, and they often include your know, community, rules, uh, that the system abides by, division of labor, things like that. Um, and key in this approach is that activity systems such as a school or a health and PE department are capable of transformation and change. So that's kind of the big picture of chat. And then zooming into expansive learning, um, that's really about, and it'll be clear why I was drawn to it, it's really about the creation of new pedagogical practices in schools by providing opportunities for those involved in schooling, um, that might be teachers, students, school leaders, community stakeholders, 
to design and implement their own futures um, as their prevalent practices show symptoms of crisis. That's another quote. Design and implement their own futures as their prevalent practices in our kids' fitness testing show symptoms of crisis. Um, and the link to my research was a no-brainer for me. Hopefully it makes sense to others um, with obviously the prevalent practice in fitness testing uh, and the symptoms of crisis we've, we've already, I think, touched on. Probably don't need to go too more into that. Um, it's very strength-based. So again, more from my teaching research, it's a, a strength-based approach and it's adaptive learning is, is very much that. And it views crisis or conflict um, not as necessarily a bad thing, um, more an invitation to transform an element of current practice that, that might be problematic for some, not, not necessarily all. Um, so that there is a focus on participants, critical and creative agency, uh, the school reform in particular. Um, but it was so nice to kind of dig into the literature that was so neatly made for what I was trying to do. You know, often with this work, we're kind of listing areas and applying it within health and PA uh, or in school. Um, and it was nice not to have do that for a day. Yeah. Um, the, the quote from Ekstrom that made the most sense for me was, it's a long one, but again, it's a good one. Since school is a historically formed practice, perhaps the initial step towards breaking its encapsulation is that students are invited to look at its content and procedures critically in the life of their history. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, such a search will lead to questions like, why is this being taught and studied in the first place? And that's exactly what I wanted to know. I wanted to ask students, I've asked teachers before, a long time ago, Michael Scott, but I wanted to ask you, well, why? Well, why do you think this is a feature of your uh, health and physical education? Um, so, yeah, that, that's what, what I did. Yeah, um, I love that. The final yeah, I loved your quote because, or not your quote, but the quote that you had in the paper about you know, why are we doing this in the first place and like challenging teachers to ask that. And it gets us out of this routine of like, well, we're doing it because the people who were before us did it. And like, if we were doing that, then we'd be teaching 1940s PE. And, you know, and I think that those are, those are really important questions to ask because you have to have the why. And I think that there are several people, a lot of teachers that can have a really good why for fitness testing, but there are increasingly a lot of people who don't have any why behind it and i and i love that you bring up this idea of bringing the students in to critique them about asking the students to look at it critically and figure out why is this being done so yeah that's quite risk though and and the, the why the purpose is imperative but is that why or purpose is not tied to that educational learning and we have a, an equally um, I guess, challenging situation. Yeah, so often when we do ask what the purpose, it's often tied to, you know, biomedical discourses around obesity and preschool physical activity, so on and so forth. But the, the learning or the educational purpose isn't, isn't often paid much attention. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I meant to lead with this, but I did not write it in my, my notes here. But I meant to lead with the fact that your paper was so approachable and well-written that I just wanted to give you a compliment because I was reading it and I flew through the paper because there wasn't this like super like tough writing to get through and like super complex like 
the results section was really well done. Like the intro was brief, but it gave me everything I needed to understand to like, you know, it was compact in a way, but I just, that's a thumbs up from me, like very good. And, and Alba who, who read this paper as well, she said the same thing. Like she flew through the paper because it was very well written. So kudos. And now I'm going to ask you what you actually did in this paper. So can you cover the, the methods section? Yeah, uh, thank you that. And you talked to my dad because he, he said you can't even get past the abstract. Usually it's so I'll tell him you said that. Um, so expansive learning, I didn't mention it just then, but it is important in terms of the methods. But I'll quickly, with there's three contexts for learning within this kind of expansive learning approach. One into the context of criticism, uh, where you might question, critique, or debate, in this instance, fitness testing, but it could be any practice. Uh, the second context is context for discovery, uh, experimenting, modeling, floating new ideas, seeing what other alternatives might be possible. And then thirdly, the context of practical social application, where you actually give it a whirl, trial it, see what works, see what doesn't work. Um, and I, I use those three contexts to frame uh, the, the finding and discussion and also inform the process and the methodology. So, um, and the one final thing I will say uh, before I see questions is this idea of context of criticism is not a bad thing. You know, it, it's an opportunity uh, for transformation. Um, it's just holding us up a mirror against a particular practice that might benefit from reconsideration. Um, so in terms of the method, got it, Roger, thank you. Um, we had uh, 48 year eight students. I would slightly more uh, than half identify as a female. And um, all participants were from one secondary college on the boundary of metropolitan Melbourne uh, in Victoria, Australia. Um, and the college itself was located in a, an area of economic disadvantage. The main methods for data collection were semi-structured focus group interviews, uh, and they utilized participatory art-based methods. So um, the data itself was the interview transcript, but also artifacts from the focus group. Uh, and these mainly took the form of drawings that um, I asked the participants uh, and uh, draw for me. Um, I'll, I'll explain, I guess, the process in a little bit more detail. But at the start of their scheduled kit testing, so I didn't, I didn't have any input into that. I just asked the teacher to teach their lesson as they would. Um, uh, but at the start of that lesson, uh, I did ask them to draw a picture of how they felt when their teacher either told them or tells them that they're doing fitness testing in their next lesson. And I gave them a feeling with wheel, uh, if anyone can Google that and you'll see it, just to give them some language and to help them with that activity and to annotate it um, with, with how, how that made them feel. And then we did, and then they did the lesson, the testing lesson, uh, and the beat test was the last thing they did. So as they finished that, I kind of just with them all in groups of about four to start the focus group process. Um, and it was then when I asked them to draw a second picture, uh, and that was, tell me how you feel right now. So you just participating in your fitness lesson, how do you feel? Uh, and again, they had the feelings wheel to, to help them 
Um, and then in the interview, I just asked questions like, why do you think you do fitness testing at school? Um, does it help you with anything that you do out of school? Um, how does it make you feel? I like to, you know, I use the drawings of the dissertation. Um, how do you think other people like feel in your class? And how might we change practices so that everyone feels that this is a good thing to do for better? And I, and I love the arts-based methods, and I know a couple couple people in the field have started moving towards that as a supplemental way to collect data and qualitative projects. And I love the the freedom that students get to be able to explain how they feel in, in just different ways. So I'm wondering if you can just briefly explain what is participatory arts-based methods. Like what what did like where did you even come up with that? Like where does that come from? I could be giving you the honest editor, I could give you a, a more academic one. <laughs> but um I'll uh a quick answer is I thought of it about the day before I went to school. I'm the only thing you're the focus group and then um I just thought let's try this. <laughs> and it happened to work. Um but in answer to your question, I I kind of split it into two. So we've got participatory research methods which I'm used for most of my academic career. Um uh, especially when working with young people, and and, and because it's about um, kind of being in direct collaboration with those who are affected by whatever the focus of the study is. Um, they might be mapping where kids are physically active, or it might be mapping where kids feel safe, or it might be drawing a picture of their favorite way to move outside of school. Um, uh, I didn't suggest that it just offered another avenue for communicating and for eliciting, I guess, deeper conversation. Um, and then adding art into the mix just means really using any form of art to collect, interpret, or share new knowledge. So for me in this research, I would say it was participatory because it was a collaboration with students um, and teachers, but not in this particular situation. And then um, it was art-based because we were using drawing as a key method of both data generation and elicitation, but also dissemination. So... I'm, as I read through the uh, results, it was interesting to see this like range of feelings and some of them, like you said, in the research, some of them felt happy that they were doing fitness testing and some of them, some of them had like very negative feelings. Um, but in the pictures, they, they talked about this range of feelings. And um, when they learned initially that the teacher was like, hey, today we're doing fitness testing. All right draw this picture and here's the, here's the feelings will and talk to me how, how you feel. Um, I'm wondering if you can share kind of like what those feelings were from these, these students in, in year eight. Yeah, sure. Um, but in short, the word, they weren't that easy to be beside, right? They were complex, varied, often contradictory. You know, one student would be experiencing relatively positive and relatively negative feelings at the same time. Um, uh, so that was, again, interesting, but not necessarily unexpected. You mentioned the drawings and obviously I purposely chose drawings to go to the paper where I get most of back from my book, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's all about transforming policy and practice, um, I needed to make particular points. Yeah. Um, the, the top 10 feelings by the students before their fitness testing 
um, kind of map for what I've just said, you know, complex and varied. Uh, number one, I was nervous, then it was happy, overwhelmed, anxious, energetic, excited, fearful, vocal, insecure, and surprised. But it, there's lots going on there. Um, and, and they took tell a neat message, but I don't think we need to. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, flipped to after the lesson, uh, the, the top uh, feeling there was tired, happy, proud, stressed, embarrassed, excited, scared, weak, anxious, and confused. Yeah. And, it's... and the, the verbal response was sorry, go on. No, I, I think it's it's so interesting, like those those words, the way that they describe themselves afterwards, like things you'd never want your students to feel in school, right? Scared and embarrassed. And that's the result at the end. Now, not like you said, not all of them, because some of them were happy and some of them were just tired. Like I am tired. I just ran to exhaustion and this is okay. That's not. I don't feel like that's a negative feeling. It's just like that's a byproduct of physical activity. But in that mix, you have scared and, and embarrassed and other words like that. It just like makes you feel so bad that something that we do in physical education makes a kid feel like that, makes several kids feel like that. Yeah, and that, that's exactly my point. Even if it's only one of you, if 29 of my kids are related by the thought of assessing, that's great. If there's one that feels any of those things, you're anxious, scared, then for me, that's enough to to come to reconsideration. And what you just said was pretty much exactly what the head of the department said. Um, you know, that they, they knew some kids liked and some didn't, but they didn't do the extent to which it was impacting their learners. And at that point, they had no choice but to reconsider and think of your ways of doing things. And they were amazing. They were so happy to do that, that hard and pretty um, challenging work. Absolutely. So we know that there's a, a lot of research that's been done on how to make PE meaningful for students with Tim Fletcher and Stephanie Benny and that group especially. Um, I have two convoluted questions about this, so try to keep them straight. Uh, the first one is about understanding that the students uh, had related to the purpose of fitness testing. And second, what kind of suggestions did the students have to reduce their negative feelings that we just talked about uh, toward fitness testing? Yeah, great. Um, I'll take the first one. Um, so linking back to this idea of expansive learning was a big question that, that yeah, it prompts us to ask is, well, why is being taught and studied in the first place? But as I suggested earlier, that's exactly what I asked the students. No students really felt that they could comment on the educative purpose. Um, uh, their responses, uh, if they had any, tended to relate to uh, ability or motor competence. You know, this idea of um, oh, my teacher will wear I'm at. That was what they said. You know, where I'm at in terms of better. Um, five of the 48, uh, that was four who are identified as male, but one who are identified as female. They were the only five who could see how the process of fitness testing that they were experiencing in school could bring off a call or was meaningful to their physically active lives beyond school. So, uh, and the commonality plus those five was that they were committed to 
could draw and, and follow club competition outside of school. Um, and then also five, um, only two could verbalize why fitness testing was meaningful to them. Uh, one said it was around agility and that, you know, if, if I'm being tested around my agility, then that'll help in netball with pivoting and everything. Mm-hmm. I see that. Um, and then another said, uh, I play foot in basketball, but knowing that I can run longer helps with foot in, knowing I can be in the midfield or whatever I need to do. So for, for both of them, they could see really clearly um, between in school and out of school. Um, but yeah, two that was two out of forty-eight that could kind of make make that then the commentary. Um, so to your second question, um, which was what suggestions did the students have to reduce that kind of negative feel towards it? This testing uh, as part of expansive learning, as I said earlier. Uh, Engstrom talks about the context of discovery. So how I would badge this in the paper is that's what this bit was, yeah? Collaboratively discovering new ways to do things in relation to fitness testing. And the focus group was really the main place that discovery was done. So um, they... Um, I'll talk a bit more about this later, but they were really quick, the students were really quick to think of new ways of doing things, (laughs) surprisingly so. Um, uh, And they could very quickly think of strategies that would help their peers or themselves feel less overwhelmed or anxious or scared and all the feelings we mentioned earlier. The the discoveries or the new ways of doing things were mainly uh, in relation to before the testing, the testing itself or after the testing. Um, In terms of pre-testing, they said they would appreciate more notice so that it could kind of mentally and physically prepare. I'm not sure how much become physically prepare in a week, but um, if they go to that thing, you know, they're more realistic. And if they, if they just want the opportunity to try and prepare, like, that's fabulous. And why wouldn't we support that? Yeah. Um, in terms of the testing itself, some students commented that they prefer that not all tests were carried out in the same space at the same time. And this leads to the, the what we already know uh, about um, exposure and ceiling judging for the peers. If all of a sudden students have choice to go where they want and work in small breaks, then that kind of surveillance is dissolved. Um, and another key practice that was problematic for these kids in particular was that the results were on the wall on like a big spreadsheet that everybody could see what everybody had achieved in ever all of the fitness tests. So um, they many were quick to say, look, we'd rather not do that, happy to record, but that that process is not for me. Um, and, and one student suggested that, you know, if we had our own record sheet instead of a class form, that would be awesome. Um, so generally, I'd say the data suggests that the students would value opportunities to make decisions about which test they participated in, where they carried out the test, and with who, when you close friends that they choose. Um, and this echoes the finding, you know, of other people like Mercy Red Silverman, O'Keefe, Billy Patel, um, and even just those combined, as well as the work from like Lorraine Kale and Joe Harris, we have a list of things, yeah, that as teachers, if we do them, our students will be more supported in previous testing. Um, but I guess the challenge is that we've been uh, not that successful in translating 
those recommendations into practice. And I feel like I've made some headway with this. And I think the key was actually this link to affect and emotion and feeling. Uh, and once you garner those, it's impossible to ignore as a teacher. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, I got a bit on a rant there. I just forgot where I was. No. Uh, did I tell you all the things? Where, with whom? Yeah. Uh, obviously, you're on the list which should take place. Uh, for the results not to be shared. Um, and know the purpose of each test and what, how they, that might be relevant to their lives beyond school. Um, yeah, and, and it's, again, lots of these alive. Yeah, on. yeah, it was interesting to see that, you know, some of the, the students there had given similar suggestions as, you know, other research, like, you know, five, seven years ago had said already, like, this is what yeah. I think that should be done. And it's like, well, you gave the students the voice and they, they reiterated it and they're like, yeah, we would like to do these, these in certain different ways. And it's, yeah. you know, even... Even for like, if you're a pre-service teacher, if you come into my class and I tell you, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, but we're doing fitness testing today as a learning experience where you're going to run the pacer. So I hope that, you know, like you're ready. Like they would, they would be pissed. They'd be like, no heads up. Like I could have modified my breakfast this morning or like I could have, you know, there's so many different things. And even for pre-service teachers that happens and. You know, you wouldn't do that for them, but then for for our students in in K to twelve, you know, you just that's what you do. You're like, oh, today we're doing this, and obviously, like you captured a lot of that information in those initial initial art um, pictures that they drew. Um, but I'm wondering, can you share your thoughts on the consequences that negative experiences in fitness testing can have? on adulthood because that's one of the that's one of the trans uh transitions right if we think about moving out of not people don't stay in physical education but they may have some serious you know carryover effects of, of fitness testing into adulthood yeah um i won't give you my thoughts because this is a very emotive and contested context but i am inclined to lean on the research uh, which there isn't much, um, but um, as I linked to in the paper, Corbin has talked to the negative experience of CA in their likelihood of reducing motivation for lifelong productivity. Um, and then we mentioned uh, Lively earlier, that was one of the few longitudinal uh, research projects that kind of trace the impact of experiences of the student through to adulthood. And, and both of those highlight that. Uh, and it goes both ways, right? If if this criteria takes very into a positive, and if I'm well prepared and I develop the knowledge and skills I need to to, to live a long and active life, then I'm going to feel good about that, and it's going to support me moving forward uh, in being active and healthy. Flip it, you know, if if I do not have the opportunity to develop the knowledge and skills I need to, to engage in life or activity in my local community, then um. Uh, and if I, especially if I have that really negative experience where I feel judged and anxious and exposed, then it's, it's going to likely demotivate some people uh, to be physically active into the future. Yeah. Um, both of uh, the library case in particular and, and also um, 
I look on Twitter a lot for people to switch and some fitness testing. Um, and what what you'll often find is they come full circle, you know, and then they turn into three triple tennis and marathon runners, you know, or competitive weightlifters. So but it, it took that time to kind of work through the trauma uh, before they are uh, found alternative ways to, uh, you know, move and enjoy physical activity again. Yeah, there's definitely a trauma there in some way for some some students that graduate, and it it takes, like you said, it takes them a long time to get back and understand that. Oh, like movement can be really enjoyable, and I've you know I've uh, teach a class here at Mason for elementary teachers who want to learn how to teach health and PE to their students or health and physical activity to their students. And a lot of them, like, they literally say, like, I, I used to not work out because I had just such terrible experiences about movement. And most of them were related to PE and to the embarrassing situations that they had in PE and just, like, completely turned off. And then something clicks when they're, like, 24, 22, that they're like, oh, I really enjoy swimming. Like, this is no longer, like, scary to me or embarrassing like I really enjoy it and then they get super into it and they want to take a class as an elective to learn how to teach and motivate students to be physically active because they had such a terrible experience so um I think I think this is super powerful stuff like I I I think it's really important if you think about like doctors like a Hippocratic oath like first do no harm and like yeah we're doing there are people doing harm, like, you know, and I think, I think Dylan Landy and, uh, you quote, you cited this paper. I think they talk about this, um, with Carrie and Saffron. They talk about this of like, that you're doing harm. Like, let's, let's just start there and kind of figure out like, where do we, <laughs> what can we do? Like, take a pause. Um, but so you, you conclude this article by saying the students should not only be seen as social and affective beings, but also a support system for the HPE profession. Can you expand on that thought and tell us kind of uh, a little bit about your interaction with, uh, with the students? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jessica. Um, I think in making that statement, I was drawing on a few ideas. Um, one is... I've already mentioned I tend to adopt the hallucinogenic or a strength-based approach. With that, you, you assume that everyone is going to bring something to the table, irrespective of who they are, where they're from. Um, I was also drawing on notions of agency and transformative agency in particular, which is rooted in uh, third-generation chat, and again, assume that all people have agency. But for transformative agency to be generated, it, it has to be over time, either mid efforts of change and transformation and debate and kind of discovery. And then thirdly, uh, and I've drawn on this idea before, uh, writing notion of mental ownership, whereby, you know, people feel that they've got some ownership over decisions made and they're more likely engaged and invested in the process, which in this instance is health and PE and testing in particular. So I'm kind of drawing all those ideas because teachers will always be the disciplinary and pedagogical experts, right? And that's never in question. 
Um, but I think sometimes we don't always take opportunities to acknowledge that even if they're experts they're alive, uh, and more often than not have the capacity to support our work in some way. Uh, you know, planning, like, become, it comes obviously on the spectrum, but there's, there's so many ways that we could draw on a student, I think, to, to support our work. Um, even just in micro practices, you know, hands up surveys, exit slips, mapping, anything. Um, and in terms of my interaction with the students, um, what, that thinking would really reinforce before I went in. Um, so I mentioned it was in a low socioeconomic data uh, area, and I was warned that I might not get much out of them. But they were written a verbal language skills were not great, um, and that I was likely to experience some kind of disruption. You know, the kid walking out or whatever that might be. And um, but that was not my experience at all. Um, they were really respectful. They were creative. They had loads of great ideas, and I've shared some of those with you already. And they were really empathetic. I meant I mentioned this in the paper because it was quite an uh, overwhelming. Almost all kids, even if they loved fitness testing and could see the relevant, um, or if they were just nonchalant about that, you know, didn't really care either way. And there were some kids like that, and they could really quickly see how their peers that visibly weren't enjoying it or visibly weren't experiencing success. Um, they could really see the ways of how their experience could be improved, um, and 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 also explain the mechanism through which that would occur. And that really, that was just brilliant to kind of witness um, that level of empathy, but also, uh, I guess, the creative thinking and critical thinking that they needed to work through that context of discovery. Yeah, and I I just want to thank you for, for sharing the work. And I know this is kind of like something that you're continuing to study and you're um, you're working on. And I think that it's just... It's nice. It's nice to see papers that are this clearly and well written. I appreciate that, and also like that are sharing what students like. I I would think that if you do this exact same study in the countries that use fitness testing similarly to Australia, which you listed, like I don't know if we would get very different responses. Like I think we'd get very similar responses in how the students feel, but yet we still keep telling people to continue doing fitness tests in the same fashion with the same no heads up surprise today we're doing the pacer exam and we're going to post these scores for for people to see and we're going to create authentic com competition and and it's just not what all the students like and when when not all the students are not enjoying it or like having negative, like very negative things, like scared and embarrassed. Like, I just think that we need to really reconsider what, what, how we're doing it. So, yeah, I think you're right. And I think I said at the end, um, you know, a, a, a project like this in one school with a relatively small sample size, the aim was never generalizability. And, and if anything, I, I would definitely not encourage teachers or teacher educators to employ that list blindly. But ideally, yep. we'd have those conversations with our own students, create our own list of, of ways we'd like to do this kind of work, uh, and then work from there. You know, it, it, the focus here is on fitness testing, but I think what I will take from this into my practice moving forward is embedding 
those opportunities for the student life in my practice yeah. more broadly. Yeah. And and I think the paper's open access, right? At least I yeah. found it very easily. So, I mean, like, this doesn't have to be replicated as a peer-reviewed research study. Like, the methods that you used can be pared down to secondary education teachers to ask them to draw. Like, you have the link in the paper to the, to the wheel. And you can say, well, how do you feel when, when I'm giving you this like we're gonna do this right now and then do it again and have that type of analysis and you don't have to do it with every single one of your one of your classes to get an understanding, but you know, like that's that's the action research. That's the research that you can do to understand what your students specifically are feeling. So um thank you, Laura. Really appreciate your your time and your your efforts on this. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to link to the, um, to the article in the show notes and, uh, really appreciate your time. Have you linked from? All right. So that's all we have here on this one. Um, I wanted to, add, um, thank Alba Rodriguez as well for her health and producing the podcast. So hope you enjoy the listen and the read. Bye.